some time in the book of Proverbs together. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we once again come before you and thank you for everything that you've given us, everything that you've blessed us with in your son, Jesus. And as we've just sung in several ways the importance and the power of the cross, that what we could not do, you did in sending your son to come and die on the cross for our sins. We're thankful that because of that work that you've done for us on the cross, we are able to stand right with you, and we now have this right relationship. And from that, we can then, based upon the indwelling Holy Spirit, live a life that's pleasing to you. So we ask that as we spend time in your word, as we think about the things that are written here for us, that your spirit would be moving in our hearts, causing us to see our hidden sins, to Uh, cause us to see the ways that we should act as believers uh, so that we can bring you honor and glory in our lives. We thank you and love you for everything you've given us in your son's name. Amen. So I don't know uh, how many of you remember way back to high school. Uh, When I was in high school, I was part of uh, the the counselor, I was a, a student assistant with the counselor, the guidance counselor, which was uh, an easy way to make a grade. You didn't have to do a test. There was no test. It was just the, the ultimate blow-off class. Basically, got a chance to just sit around and do nothing. But I, I remember towards the middle of the semester each year, uh, the guidance counselors would bring in all of the students from the school, and it would be, uh, you know, in the middle of the year, would be, hey... You know, you need to start getting in your college education, uh, your application. You need to start thinking about the future. Now's the time to start thinking about the future. And uh, I remember one guy saying the reason he was picking a school because it was a party school. And I remember the, the, the guidance counselor saying, well, that's not, that's not a good reason to go to school. The, the party, that, that's not a good use of your money, okay? And I, I, I remember that time, right, with the guidance counselor, right before college, and that reminds me of the text that we have before us, found in Proverbs 23. So remember, when we started the book of Proverbs, we started with the posture of a child, as a a parent talking to a child, and we come to the book as those who don't know, right? We need to be taught. So from chapter 1 to chapter 10 was this scene of we're walking with our father through the marketplace of ideas, and uh, he's telling us to go here, go there, pick your friends here, don't go over here. Then from chapter 11 to uh, about chapter 21, we went through this section of here's what wisdom looks like, here's what foolishness looks like. Spent a whole bunch of time looking at those. Still, kind of as the posture of a, of a child and a father teaching us the way we should go and a way that we should not go. We've entered into this next section in the book of Proverbs as we're studying the book. And remember, this is Solomon giving 30 sayings from other people. And, and it's like we have assumed the position of a student And we're going through class, and we have 30 classes. This morning, we are going to hit dead center out of the 30, right? We're halfway through our our time as a student, and so we're going to look at the sayings, the 30 sayings. We're going to look at the 14th saying, the 15th saying, and the 16th saying. Now, 
You ready? Ready for, four, for saying number 14? Go with me to Proverbs 23. Notice in verse 17. This is saying number 14, Proverbs 23, verses 17 through 18. The emphasis here is to fear the Lord. Okay? So notice what it says. It says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is future, and your hope will not be cut off. Okay? So notice here in verse 17 how, how the, the saying is, don't let your heart envy. Now, we've talked about the heart. Solomon has described the heart. The heart is the, who we are on the inside. It's like our, our personality. And in the Hebrew, when, when they're writing and when Solomon's writing, remember, this is talking about the place where I have my values. This is the place where I make my decisions. Uh, this is the place where I think, right? It's where I, it's where I have my rational thinking. So the sense is that my heart... What I desire, what I treasure, what I value, that place should not be full of one kind of envy, right? And notice that it's don't envy sinners. The sense is don't look at what the sinners have, what the sinners are doing, what those who are foolish, what they're doing, and go, I really want that. I really want to do that. I really want what they have. I really value how they got it. Now, we've studied the book, and remember, the book talks about these sinners, these foolish people, how they are constantly doing things that are against God's word, against God's will. They're willing to steal. They're willing to kill. They're willing to extort. So so the sense is, don't look at somebody who is this type of person and say, wow, at least they got a huge paycheck out of doing these incredibly sinful things I really want what they got, and and I'm really willing to do what they did to get what they got. So the sense is don't become jealous of these people. Why would Solomon have to tell us this? Why would he have to remind us of this? One simple reason. We all envy the sinner. No, we we don't like to think that we do, right? But we all have driven through nice neighborhoods and looked at the houses and thought, that'd be nice. Looked at the cars, that'd be sweet. Some of us look at guitars and go, I'd kill him for that. Right? We all have that envy, right? That, that thing where it doesn't belong to me. God has allowed the other person to have it, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get that. And so I'm looking at someone else, seeing what they have, and have this improper desire and zealous attitude. I, I need to get that. And, and that's all that, that your mind thinks about. So, so the lesson is don't do this. But I'm thankful that he doesn't say, just stop envying the sinner. He tells us something that we're supposed to have. And it's kind of an interesting statement, because in the English it says, but continue in the fear of the Lord. And it doesn't have it, but it's assumed, right? That, that word envy is assumed in the next clause. So it could say, but envy the fear of the Lord. Now you go, what does that mean to envy the fear of the Lord? The sense is, you should zealously desire to have this incredible respect and love for the Lord. 
this incredible sense of I'm going to take him serious and I'm going to obey him and I'm going to listen to him. So on the one hand, do not envy the fool who is going away from God, but envy that desire, zealously desire to have that sense of this fear, this respect, this reverence, this willingness to submit to the Lord. On the one hand, don't do this. On the other hand, you must do this. And notice, I like how the ESV puts it. It says, and continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Gives the implication there should never be a time when you are not desiring to have the fear of the Lord in your life. This is always an attitude that needs to be cultivated. This is always something that you can say, you know what? You know what? You, how you could pray for me? Pray that I fear the Lord more. Pray that I have more respect, more worship for the Lord. That, that, that is definitely something that should be constantly on the top of our list. This is number one, right? This is the number one thing. This is the reminder of the book. This is the whole point of the book, is to take God serious and his word serious and his law serious. So we need to have this. This is what you need, right? Now, Solomon will add, notice in verse 18, he adds a reason why you need the fear of the Lord. He says, surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Meaning, it's really good, right? This, This is the way you live. This is the way that God has determined for you to live. And it will go well with you if you do this. This isn't saying that life is going to be incredible. It isn't saying that you're going to have all these things. But what it is going to say is all of that peace and joy, that fullness of life that Solomon has been talking about in following the Lord, that will be yours. If you don't follow the Lord, the consequence of that sin may very well cut your life short. You don't have the hope of this great long life. It's only when we fear the Lord, take him serious and his word serious, right? That's what he's saying. So this is, this is saying number 14, fear the Lord, right? Fear the Lord. This, this, is, this is 101, right? We've been hearing this from the very beginning of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise knowledge. So once again, we have this reminder to take God serious. You ready for saying 15? It's a doozy. You ready? So go to the next verse, verse 19. Here the doozy is direct your heart, right? So notice what, notice what is said here. In 23, 19, it says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards, or among gluttons, eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. This is saying 15, right? And notice in the beginning, in verse 19, there are three commands here. Notice the three commands. The first command is to hear. The second command is be wise. And the third command is to direct, Okay. So the word for here, once again, we've seen this numerous times. As Paul says, for me to say it again is no problem and a safeguard for you, right? Hearing is much more than just, I read it, much more than I heard the sound of it. 
Hearing implies I'm listening, I'm taking it inside, I'm taking it serious, I desire to obey it, right? So it's much more than just, hey, listen up, kid. This is, you need to pay attention. You, you need to really listen to what I'm about ready to say. And then he says, be wise. That is the entirety of the book so far, right? Walk in wisdom. Remember, wisdom from the book of Proverbs, from the standpoint of the book of Proverbs, and as far as we should be concerned, is skillful living. And skillful living is living life according to God's will, right? The scriptures lay out God's will. A skillful life is being able to live that out, being able to say the right things at the right time with the right attitudes, be able to do things in the right way that brings honor and glory to God and doesn't hurt our relationships with others around us, right? That, that's what wisdom is, being able to navigate through life the difficulties of life and being able to do that in a way that brings honor and glory. So essentially, we could say this is a call for godliness, a call for holiness, right? This is a call for obedience. This is a call for living a life that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be wise. Realize this is important, right? This is really important. And then he kind of bores down a little bit and gets to the application, and he says, direct your heart. Notice again, the use of the word heart, which talks about what we value, The word for direct here in the Hebrew means to make straight. So literally, set it on the straight path. Set it on the path that doesn't have curves. Set it on the path that doesn't have a lot of bumps. You're not going to fall off and hurt yourself, right? This is a smooth, brand new highway. Set set your heart in that way, in the way. Just as a side note, as I'm thinking about verse 19, notice there's this set your heart straight, and notice how it says, in the way. Notice it doesn't say pick a way and then make sure that you walk that way. Solomon doesn't care about that. The Bible doesn't care about that. The Bible is concerned with, God is concerned with, Solomon is concerned with that you're walking in a particular way, the way of wisdom, the way that pleases God. There's lots of other ways. There's lots of other things, lifestyles out there. I'm not concerned about those. I'm concerned that my heart is directed on the right one. And so should yours, right? Sometimes it might be a waste of time to research those other ways. When you know the way, just walk on it. This is it. He's laying it out. Direct your heart. Now now notice that as you direct your way, this will mean a couple things. And notice... He begins to talk about associations. Notice in verse 20, he says, And be not among drunkards and gluttons. Now, the tendency is to say, Well, see, if you don't follow God's law, then you're going to become a drunk guy. Or some fat guy who eats too much. Right? Like, like, like that's the assumption. Your, Your mind automatically goes there. But that's not necessarily what he's saying, is it? He's saying, direct your heart. And then he says, so that you will not be among these people. See, it's this association with the drunkards. It's this association with the gluttons that, that Solomon is saying, be careful of. Be careful of the friendship with these people. Now, the question is, what's so wrong with the drunkards and the gluttons? Like, like why should we avoid them? Remember, in the book, there's a way that the Lord has 
And then there's the other way, which is the foolish way. The assumption is that the drunkards and the gluttons are foolish. The, the overindulgence demonstrates selfishness, demonstrates a lack of perspective of God's will, demonstrates a being controlled by the flesh and not controlled by the spirit. It, it demonstrates a whole bunch of stuff. And the issue is if you hang around with them, you will not instruct them, they will instruct you. They will influence you, and you will become more and more selfish. That, that's the implication, right? So be careful who you hang out with. Now, he, he picks these two. He could have picked any person that overindulges anything. But here he picks these two. And these are serious things, right? Notice, do not, you will not be amongst the drunkards, <laughs> Uh, this is somebody who drinks way too much wine. In, in the, when it was written, that's what it meant. I think today we could say this would be anybody who abuses any substance, right? And then notice the gluttons. I've already shared my struggle with that particular sin. In fact, pretty much on display every time I walk into a room, right? Obviously, gluttony is a thing that we struggle with as a church. I know it's not something that we talk about a lot because we like talking about the sins that we don't commit because it feels a lot better to talk about the sins that other people are doing instead of the sins that I'm doing. And so gluttony is one of those sins that no one in this church ever commits. I'm joking, of course. This is a serious thing. This is a serious sin. This is a serious lack of spirituality. This is a serious lack of self-control, of walking by the Spirit. This is a serious act of selfishness, right? It's a serious sin. And so the, the idea of somebody who's overeating, that's a, that's a big deal. Now, in the ancient world, it was, it was a little bit different, right? It, it had a little bit of a different flavor than it does in the modern world, right? So, so in the ancient world... <clears throat> there was only certain people that could be gluttons. There were the people that had money to buy food. So normally what gluttony was, was the eating of fine food, the overindulging of fine food. In fact, there are cultures that what they would do is they would put food in their mouth, they would chew it, and then spit it out. And then they would put food in their mouth, chew it, and spit it out. They wouldn't even swallow it. Because for them, the entire experience was just the taste of food. That's gluttony. That, that, that would be gluttony. Or, or another idea of gluttony is there's a drought. Your neighbor needs something. You have way more than enough, and you are hoarding food when, during a drought. Those are more of what gluttony looks like in the ancient world. But let, let, let's call a spade a spade. This is bad, right? We should not be associating with these people. Now, Solomon gives a reason. Notice the reason. In verse 21, he says, "...for drunkards and gluttons will come to poverty." The, the, the logic is that they are so controlled by the substance that they're willing to give up everything for that substance. So they're working to indulge, to overindulge. And therefore, as a result, they will lose everything they have. Right? This is the danger of it. It comes to poverty because they have no self-control. Because they're foolish and they don't care what God's word says. They're willing to overindulge, 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 overindulge. And, and eventually it'll lead them to poverty. And then it says, and slumber will clothe them with rags. The sense is, if you overindulge in wine and you eat too much, 
It's nap time. And you will be sleeping when you should be working. Right? And if you're sleeping when you should be working, you're not making a paycheck. And then when you wake up, guess what you're concerned about? The substance that you're overindulging. And then you'll go out and everything you do is for that substance. Then you'll fall asleep and you're sleeping while you're working. And the idea is is that you're not even taking care of yourself. You'll end up in in, in rags. And Solomon, he, he's saying, now, now we got to have fear of the Lord. we got to be good stewards of our time, of our body, and of our resources. We, we need to be loving. We need to be honoring and glorifying the Lord. We shouldn't be controlled by any substance. Here, this is a sign of a fool. And, and don't go around associating with these people because they will teach you to overindulge. You will not go to them and teach them restraint. They will teach you to overindulge. And we like to overindulge as Americans. Let's go on to the next one, right? The 16th saying. So this one's going to be in verses 22 all the way to verse 25. Kind of an interesting one in, in the middle of all these, but notice what he says. He says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, first of all, when you look at that, there, there is something a little strange about that wording. Think about it. It's the father who gave you life, who birthed you. That, that doesn't happen. So it's a strange thing to say. The one who gave you birth was your father, right? So it's a strange thing to say. It gets you to think, what do you mean the father who birthed me? And then it says, and respect your mother when she is old. Essentially what Solomon is saying is he's saying you need to honor your parents, right? This is basically just a, a, a restatement of what is found in, in, in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor, children, honor your father and mother. Basically by saying the father who gives you life it kind of makes sense, right? Kind of that, you know, we all come from our father. You need your father and your mother, so we kind of come from our, our father. But what also is interesting is do not despise your mother when she is old. In one sense, when we look at Exodus 20 and we look at commands like this, we normally think of, like, kids my age, right? Or, or not kids my age. I guess we could think about kids my age, but I'm thinking about the kids that I have their ages, right? Not a 35-year-old, but a 5-year-old, right? That's what we're thinking of, right? When we think of children, honor your parents, we're thinking of them, the little kids, right? There's a sense that once you become an adult, at least in the church, that honoring your father and mother, eh, that's not so much. That's for little kids. That's not for us who are older. And, and, and here, notice, just do not despise your mother when she is old implies that this is a lifelong command that we always will be a child. And in a sense, we will always have parents. They, they might not be here, but while we're still alive, we still have the obligation to honor our father and mother. That, that's the implication. We always have that. You know, as I was thinking about this in, in verse 22, when, when, when Solomon says, do not despise your mother when she is old, I, I really was thinking, one of the thoughts that came to my mind was when, when Paul was talking to Timothy about 
the church and how the church should take care of, of its own. Remember that part in 1 Timothy where uh, it talks about how if there's a widow, how the children are supposed to take care of the mother? That's their responsibility. The church shouldn't necessarily shoulder that burden because there's children to take care of that. And remember what he said. He says, it's really bad. It's really bad if we don't do that. So, so even the way that we treat our parents is, a, is an aspect of our faith. It's a, it's a way that we demonstrate our, our love for the Lord. Honoring our parents is an act of worship, right? Honoring them and, and, and taking care of them is, is a sign of worship. It's a sign that we take our faith serious. It's, time, it, it's a sign that we, we take Jesus seriously. So here, when Solomon says, listen to your father who gave you birth and do not despise your mother when she is old, the sense is, honor them. This is a lifelong command. I will also say this, uh, the command does not have a caveat that says, honor those parents who are honorable. It says, honor your parents. End. This is something that we all need to work on and work through. Now, verse 23 is a little strange in, in, in the flow because it seems just like interjected to the point that some people thought it, it, it's, a, it, it's another saying, right? Because it's so awkward. Notice what he says in verse 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And you would go, wait a minute. That, that, that seems like a, a really weird break of flow. And then if you go to verse 24, it says, and the father of righteousness will rejoice greatly. And then in verse, 20, uh, in verse 25, let your father and mother be glad. So, so it seems a little strange that in the middle of this section about talking about your, your parents honoring your father and mother, he just interjects this by wisdom. And so there's this great confusion of why is that there? What's the point seems to me that this is the parental advice that we are to listen, right? It's almost like the teacher is reinforcing the advice of the parents that we've read in the book so far. And he's telling him that we need to make sure that the thing that we're focused on, the thing that we're known for buying, the thing that we're known for trading, right, this, this godly economy, make sure that truth Wisdom and instruction are the most important, that you buy these things, that you spend energy and resources to get these things, to put yourself in a situation to acquire these things and don't get rid of them for any reason. Like your dad says, like your mother says at home, if you do this, student, then your mother and father will be pleased when you get home. That seems to be the sense. So notice here when he says, buy truth and do not sell it. The word buy means to acquire. It means to acquire through resources. So the question is, how do you buy something that you can't go to the store to get? How do you buy truth? Well, clearly this is a metaphor. This is talking about the number one pursuit in your life should be truth. Yesterday in the, in the men's Bible study, we, we were in John 6, and we had this really long discussion where Jesus is, is telling the, the crowd, he says, look, you're just following me because I'm giving you bread. 
and not because of who I am. You're not following me because of who I am. It's just because I, I made all this bread appear, and now you're like, sweet, this dude feeds us. And, and we were talking about how much work that would go into in the ancient world to make bread, how much, how much time and energy would be spent in getting food and acquiring food. And Jesus' statement then was, work for the food that gives you eternal life that I will give you. Right? So, so, so the idea is, he's not, he's not saying you shouldn't buy bread. He's not saying you shouldn't eat bread. In fact, he's not even saying that you shouldn't try to make tasty bread. The sense is, the number one motivation, the number one appetite, the number one craving, your number one job, you get the point, is truth. Here, the number one commodity that you should spend your time and money and resources to acquire, everything should be centered around the idea of acquiring truth. Not any truth, this truth. I don't care about any truth. I care about the truth that God reveals about himself, about his will, about his character, about Jesus Christ. This cuts to why you do what you do. Do you do what you do to acquire truth? To make sure that God is honored and glorified in your life? Is that the motivation that causes you to get out of bed? Is that the motivation that causes you not to hit the snooze button? Is that the motivation of why I do the jobs that I do? Why I have the friends that I have? Why I spend the money that I spend? Why I read what I read and watch what I read? What's that motivation? What's that number one motivation behind it all? Here, Solomon is telling us we better make sure that that motivation is the acquiring of truth. That acquiring of God's truth, of his character, and of his will. That truth about the gospel, that truth about Jesus, that truth about us. That truth is found in Christ and in his word. And we can only apprehend that truth when we have the Holy Spirit illuminating our eyes to it. We all know how much time people spend buying things, how much they, they have these jobs. We all met those people that are working at their jobs because they want to go on this expensive trip or buy this brand new car. We know how much money and time and energy they put into it. It's their singular focus. They're willing to eat ramen in the back room, sleep on a cot so that they can get that brand new truck, right? They're willing to do that. Here, we should be willing to do that for the truth of God, right? That's the sense. It's a singular focus. Now, it's not the only thing that we should buy. It's not the only thing that we should hold dear to us. It's our, it's our, it's our treasure. Notice he then says, by wisdom and instruction and understanding. In one sense, you could say the truth that is found in the first part of the verse, in verse 23, is defined by the words that follow that truth here would be wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Now, when we talk about this truth, and we think about all that we've learned so far about wisdom, we've learned all that we've learned so far in the book of Proverbs, if we put it together, this would look like a person who is disciplined, who's trained, who's 
reproved and corrected and instructed by God. This would refer to a person who has discernment, who knows the difference between right and wrong, truth and error, and is able to plot one's course accordingly. This is a person who's able to deal with others in a way that is loving and honors and glorifies the Lord and doesn't alienate people, doesn't become an energy and time suck type of person, but is a person who edifies others. This is dealing with somebody who is able to formulate plans and has discretion and knows the right time to act, knows the right time to say something. This is talking about a person who knows God's truth and most importantly knows God himself. That's what this looks like. This is the number one thing. Nothing else matters. This is it. This is the advice. And then as I think about then the next verse, verse 24, it says the father of the righteous will rejoice or will greatly rejoice. There's a sense of conviction for me as a parent because, be honest, I'm not always overly joyed when my children are doing things that are godly, right? I should be. My number one joy should be when my children are acting like Jesus. They're, they're, they're following the word. They're acting in wisdom that should be the greatest joy. As I've said last, uh, the last couple weeks, I don't care what my kids grow up to be. I don't care what kind of job they have. I don't care what kind of school they go to. As long as they try their hardest and they honor and glorify Jesus, that's fine. Amen. There could be no greater joy than that. I don't care if they don't, if they don't become lawyers or doctors and they end up just doing menial jobs, but they love Jesus. And they're taking care of their responsibilities. Amen. That's what's needed. That, that, just, that would be the greatest thing for our children to have this. And as parents, we need to remember that we reward them when they live for the Lord. And our punishment should be when they disobey God's law. So notice in verse 24, the father of the righteous will rejoice greatly. He whose he who father, father is a wise son will be glad. Verse 25, let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The, the, the idea is, son, you want to make mama proud. You want to be able to go home and not lower your head in shame for the actions that you've done. And mama chases you around the kitchen with a rolling pin. You don't want one of those dad lectures because of the things you've done. You want to be able to walk in to the house knowing that I'm attempting to live for the Lord. No shame. And your parents are excited that you're living for the Lord. That should be the desire. This This is what it means to honor your father and mother. It means to show respect for them because they are your honor. They are your father and mother. Kind of like how we treat the president, right? We might not agree with the president or some of the things of the, that the president, uh, that he, you know, some of his policies, but we respect the office, right? He's the president. There's certain things that if he walked into this room are appropriate for us to do culturally, to show respect to the office, and we would do that. Parents have the same status. There are certain things that we must do culturally to respect them, and that's important. 
It's important that we submit to them. Now, obviously, age might play a part into the amount of submission and what that submission looks like, the, pl- the interplay between that submission. But let's be honest. It, honoring does mean that children must submit to their parents. Now, as they get older, obviously, there's a little bit more interplay. The, the, the child has a little bit more of a responsibility for himself before God. The, the, the submission may look more like, okay, mom and dad gives me advice. I need to take that advice serious. Honoring our fathers and mothers means that we forgive them because they are not perfect. They've done a lot of bad stuff, our fathers and mothers. Even the good ones have done a lot of bad stuff. If I honor them, I forgive them. If I honor them, I look at them with compassion and empathy, right? It's tough being a parent. I thought I knew what it was like to be a parent before I was a parent. Then I became a parent, and then I I just realized how smart my dad was, right? I also realized why my dad was always grumpy on road trips. It's amazing how you figure that stuff out when you have kids. But, but that, that's what it looks like, right? It doesn't mean that we wink at sin. It, it doesn't mean that there, isn't, that there isn't some level of give and take of, I don't think that's the right thing for me to do, mom and dad. It doesn't mean that you don't have differing opinions about things. It doesn't mean that, that you say, okay, I'm going to go into the, I'm going to do this. I think the Lord wants me to do this. And your parents say, I don't think it's a good idea. And you give them biblical reasons and they say, well, let's just agree to disagree. That doesn't mean that that's not honoring to them. There's a certain way to say that. There's a certain way to bring that to their attention. There's a certain way to talk to them. The sense is we never stop honoring our parents. As long as we have breath, even if our parents are no longer here on this earth, we still need to honor them. These are the lessons, right? This, this is like the going to the guidance counselor. This is halfway through the year. And these are some of the things that the guidance counselor says, you've got to remember, these are important things. You can't just pick the school that has the best party. You've got to pick the school that will help you learn. Like your parents have taught you, right? We've just been to the guidance counselor. This is what it looks like. So what should we do based off the guidance counselor? Fear the Lord. Have this incredible respect for him. What should we do? Direct our hearts. Direct our hearts in the way of wisdom. What should we do? We should honor our parents. Now, at this time, I'm going to ask the musicians to come.